And uh, I will ask the Lord's blessing on our study, and then we'll dive right into it. Book of Jude. Lord, would you bless now as we go to your word. Thank you so very much for teaching us. Lord, thank you for this epistle, Lord, uh, of Jude. And we ask you now, Lord, this uh, apostasy that we're learning about, that we're seeing examples of in the scripture, that God, you'd help us to glean from it and to learn from it. Holy Spirit, would you, again, teach us, please. We trust you now. We give you now this time in your precious name. Amen. May be seated. We have uh, made it all the way to about verse 9. We just uh, touched on verse 9 last time. And uh, we saw through verse 5, 6, and 7 examples of this apostasy uh, that, uh, that he was, um, uh, in verse 3 and 4, that he was talking about contending for the faith and those that are going contrary to the faith or those that are going away from the faith. And he showed us examples of that of those in the um, in Israel, in the wilderness, and those of the fallen angels, and those of Sodom and Gomorrah, very much all very similar, going the way of their flesh. And then we get into verse 8, and the Bible says, Likewise also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. They have no problem talking against their authority and speaking out against those that are in positions of authority. And it says, verse 9, Yet Michael, the archangel, when, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. So in context here, he's talking about the fact that Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil here, did not accuse him, did not, did not uh, point the finger at him, did not uh, say, uh, um, you know, calling out his sin and all that. He said, Lord will take care of you. The Lord will rebuke you. And uh, what uh, I believe God is teaching us is here is that oftentimes we, when we come away from the Word of God and we go in our flesh and in our mindset, what do we like to do? We, we, think, we think we're doing okay, that we got all the answers, that, that I, must, I must have it all right, and we start opening our mouth and running our mouth about everybody, don't we? Yeah, I mean, even, even folks that, uh, that, that we co-labor with and call family and friends right here in our own church, and we so easily start accusing and, and pointing the finger and, and pointing out, and that's convicting, amen? That, that is convicting, because we're all flesh, and we do it from time to time, but God here is pointing this out. He's talking about in verse 8 how they speak evil, despise and speak evil of their digni- of dignities. And here, Michael, the archangel, wouldn't even accuse Satan and said, the Lord will rebuke you. Interesting um, how we think about it. We're so, we're so quick to tear down people, are we not? So quick to point out the finger what what Jesus say? Hey, why don't you take the beam out of your own eye? Right? Amen. And I need that reminder. I don't know about you, but I need that. Because I know what my flesh and my mind thinks and my assumptions and then what my mouth starts running about. And um, I need that reminder. But let's look at the specifics here, verse 9. It says, yet Michael the archangel. And we'll stop there for a moment. 
We know Michael. He's the only uh, angel that's ever called the archangel. Now, we assume some things by what we know in the Word of God, but we're not told that any other angel is actually an archangel. Uh, what, what, do, what do we know? We know that archangel here, we know it means to be, to be first. It's a chief angel. So, oftentimes, okay, help me here. What, what, do we, what do we think we know from the Word of God? Help me here, what, from other passages and things. How many archangels do we believe there are? Three, I heard three, okay? And um, uh, we're not exactly always sure why we believe that, okay? How many, uh, what, what would the other three be that we often just assume there is? I'm not asking you to, to call out, to, 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 to embarrass yourself with assumption. I'm just saying, what do we think? What do we believe? What, what have we been taught through the ages? What are the other angels that would be archangels? Gabriel and? Michael and? Lucifer, Lucifer. Why do we why do we believe those three would be archangels? Well, in fact, those three are the only ones named in Scripture. Those are the only three that are named. Now, there's there's uh, one that's called an angel in Revelation, but I believe that's talking about the devil because of the name, what it means, and all of that. Um, and uh, but there's three that are named in 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 Scripture here: Lucifer. Gabriel and Michael. Now, Michael is the only one that's called an archangel. We understand in the rapture, we're going to hear the voice of an archangel. The trump of God and the voice of the archangel. Now, um, why? I don't, I don't really know. I wonder. Michael always seems to be the might of heaven. He's the prince of Israel. He, he went to, uh, the Bible talks about him delivering uh, Israel and, and helping Israel in different parts. Even in Revelation it talks about that. And uh, in, in Daniel it talks about how Michael went to help Daniel at a time when another angel was trying to come visit him. Um, and that was uh, Daniel chapter 10. I'll speak more of that in just a moment. <coughs> but we assume... Excuse me. That there are three archangels because of the three named in Scripture. In fact, uh, Daniel chapter ten. I won't have you turn there now, but if you'd like to read it later, Daniel ten and Daniel twelve both talk about Michael. And what Daniel ten says that he's one of the chief princes. So I would I would be led to believe by that that scripture there that he's there's not just one archangel but that there's more because he's one of the chief princes and uh, again we assume because of three now another reason we assume there's only three is because in Revelation uh, let me see here if I wrote it down Revelation twelve the Bible says the devil took a third part of the stars of heaven. And we assume that's talking about the angels of heaven. We believe that. And so if he took a third part, it would make sense that, that he was over top one third of them in heaven. And that sure makes sense. Now, you understand we aren't told directly in Scripture these things, but we compare Scripture with Scripture and we're looking at different passages and we, make, we come to these conclusions. Now, we might get to heaven and God might show us something different. Uh, but uh, this is what, uh, this is what as... I believe in what I've been taught and what I've seen in Scripture based off the Scripture that God has given us. Now, if God would give me something different, then, then I'd gladly see it and, and possibly believe something different if it was contrary to that. But from the Scripture that He has taught me and shown me, uh, it, would, it would seem as if there's only three 
And then that would be Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Now we know Lucifer uh, was, uh, if, you, if you want to read and study about Lucifer, in Isaiah 14, there's one passage you can read about him. That talks about his sin. And Ezekiel 28. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And Ezekiel 28, it really describes um, Lucifer before he fell and talks about him and his angelic being and all of who he is and how he was made and all that. He was a creation. He was created by the Lord Jesus Christ because the Lord Jesus created everything. And yet here he thought he was big stuff and wanted to rise above that, wanted to rise above Christ and above the Lord. And so um, this is what we know by these things. Now, let's continue. He says, so he says, Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Okay, he's contending with the devil. What do you think about when you hear the word contending? Right? Okay. So, now consider that. It's the devil, Lucifer, and Michael. Now, if they were both archangels, they would be somewhat comparison. All right? Uh, the, the, the arc meaning first or chief. Okay? We don't know that exactly, but we, we're putting that together. Uh, we do know that there's different rankings of angels. Okay, as I re- just referenced Daniel chapter 10, I would encourage you, if you'd like to read that later, look at verse 13. And Daniel talks about how an angel came to him in a time of prayer to give him a message from the Lord. And the, and the angel says, Daniel, I would have been here sooner, but I was held up by the prince of Persia. And he said he held me, and I believe he gave a time frame in that, and I don't recall what that was. Maybe just a couple weeks. But he was held up for a while. And he says, I would have been here sooner, but I was held by the prince of Persia until Michael came to help me. And, and basically took my place, just moved me aside and, and went to town. All right. And the Bible describes that. So as if Michael is stronger than some other angels. And that would make sense. Okay, God, God is clearly... Uh, lays out uh, different positions, different rankings through mankind. Okay, and even even governments of man. Okay, God allows those to be. We need to remember that. The Bible talks about that. Even governments of men, God allows to be, and uh, and so the different ranking systems. So why wouldn't that be in heaven? So just some things to think about there, some considerations. Again, if you're going to look these things up, you can look at Revelation 12 that talks about the devil there and uh, the third part of heaven. And you can look at Daniel 10 and Daniel 12 that talk about Michael quite a bit. And so it says here that he's disputing about the body of Moses. Don't you find that interesting? I, I do. I'm thinking about that and thinking about that. No other passage in Scripture gives us any inkling about this. This is the only time we're told about uh, a dispute over the body of Moses. Now, outside of this passage, according to Scripture, who's the only one that knows where Moses is buried? God. Why is that? Because he's the one that buried him, isn't it? Okay, God allowed Moses. He said, Moses, you're going to come up on the mount. 
Um, obviously, that was a transition time when Joshua would take the lead. They're at the Jordan River. They're ready to cross it. And Moses goes up on the mount. God shows him. Um, I always mix these up. Pisgah and Nebo. I don't know if one was the mountain, one was the peak. I always mix those up. But Pisgah, I think it was Mount Pisgah and the peak of Nebo, I think. And um, I've had the privilege of, of standing on it, but I can never remember which one's which. I always forget. Uh, but he, God, got, God uh, uh, took him up on that mount and he was able to see the promised land as a, as a whole. And uh, I, I was looking forward to that when I got word I was going to be able to go up on it. And then I go up on it and when you know, it was misty. It was all cloudy and the and, and Lord said, uh, yeah, you're not Moses, so just calm down. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and so, uh, was, did Hunter get to, do you know if Hunter got to, or excuse me, Brother Kidwell would get to cross the river and uh, look, uh, look over in Jordan at all? Do you know? Okay, okay, great. I'm uh, looking forward to hearing some of the, what, he'll get, what he gets to see over there. That will be great. Um, and so, body of Moses, buried somewhere around uh, Moab, was down off of, that, off of that mount. Okay, so, again, why would two angels be disputing over a body that God buried? And nowhere else in Scripture are we told about it. Now think about it. What is one thing... That the Israelites struggled with. Idolatry. Idolatry. That's exactly right. Idolatry. Okay? So, remember the, remember the Ten Commandments? He said, there shall be no other God before me, right? And then he says, there, you shall make no graven image. He's not repeating the first commandment. He's saying another one. He says, don't, don't even make a graven image even of me. Okay, sometimes we miss we misunderstand that. I believe sometimes when I was a kid, I thought the golden calf was just a false god, but it wasn't. A calf meant strength. They were making an image of God with the golden calf. You you don't you don't watch God uh, bring down all these uh, plagues of Egypt and all that, and watch him part the Red Sea, and then a week later go off and serve another god. I mean that, that doesn't make sense. I mean I'm pretty simple, and that does, I mean I. I I couldn't even comprehend that. I mean, I have a hard time comprehending all, all this last year of all that God has done in my life and in my heart and how I could serve something else. And, and them getting to see it firsthand, the miracles of God with the plagues. and then them to, So the golden calf was really an image portraying God. But God said that's not to be. Okay, how do you take an almighty, infinite God and put him into an image? Right? So you can't. And that was God's uh, teaching there behind that. So, is it possible that the devil wanted to take the body of Moses and bring it up or resurrect it or even take his bones or something about him and make it an idol for the Jewish people to worship? Because Moses, but God says clearly in Deuteronomy, there will never be another prophet like Moses. Moses was a, was a great man, especially in the eyes of, of uh, those that followed him and the Jewish, uh, uh, the lineage there coming down. Moses is one of my favorite Bible characters because he was a real guy, but he knew God personally. He had some struggles. He was a man of sin. He had some difficulties, but he knew God. And because of his relationship with God that he chose, you look at Hebrews 11, he chose that. And because of his choice, 
God allowed him to do some great and wonderful things in his power. And so you can imagine using the body of Moses as an idol would certainly get, get the Israelites off track. Okay, even, even just like the golden calves. The golden calf was just one time there at the, at, uh, at the mountain, the bottom of the mountain after 40 days, right? But then later on, they had the calves of, of the north and of the two different calves in the northern kingdom. And that was on down the road a little bit. Now, if it wasn't for idol worship, could it also have been, when was the one time that the body of Moses was seen again? The Mount of Transfiguration. Didn't God resurrect Moses and bring Elijah back to be seen next to him? And Peter, James, and John recognized them. Now, if it was just their spirit that showed up, how did they recognize him? I believe it was their bodies. Because that's how we recognize. That's how humans, that's how we understand that. Okay, it doesn't say that Moses started um, necessarily declaring everything to the, them. It says that the Lord was speaking with them, but they recognized him. And God resurrected Moses' body for that purpose. Is it possible that the devil wanted to interfere with that? Yes, it's very, very possible. So as we consider these things, think about the Mount of Transfiguration. And I believe here several months ago, I, I, I believe I preached on it. But there's images there that God used with those two men. Elijah, did he die? No, he went up in the chariot of fire, right? So Elijah would, would be a picture of those that are raptured up. Moses died, and God said the dead in Christ will rise first. That's a picture of those who are dead in Christ that will rise. And Elijah is a picture of those that will be raptured up. Okay? Not only, uh, there's other pictures there as well, but that's one of them. And the devil trying to mess up some of these pictures and some of these understandings that we have, trying to mess with what the plan of the Lord is to get us off track. See, the devil doesn't necessarily have to point everybody to himself. But he, what he wants to do is get everybody away from God. Think about men. Think about you and me. And Oftentimes we get so focused on ourselves, don't we? And the devil gets a victory on that when we take the focus off of God and the glory off of God and we put it on ourselves because we're taking it away from God the Father and put it in Jesus Christ and put it on ourselves. And the, and the devil has a victory with that. Now, there is a lot of satanic worship and people are actually doing that kind of stuff. And we look at that kind of odd, but the devil still wins and his plan is still, his purpose is still uh, carried out when we take the glory away from the Father and put it even on ourselves. Okay, so consider those things. All right, so Michael the archangel, verse 9, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not. That word dur durst, I had to look that up. Really, we might say he did not dare. He did not dare to bring against him a railing accusation. Durst not to bring against him a railing accusation, but said the Lord rebuked thee. And we already spoke about that. And we'll continue on. Look what it says. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Isn't that something? We're real good about talking about things that we have no idea about. <laughs> Aren't we? 
man, we spit off opinions and talk about this and talk about that. And, and um, I laugh at my children because they're a reflect, reflection of me. <laughs> and my kids will get talking about something and one of them in their pride just sticks their chest out and like, well, this and this and this and that. You don't even know what you're talking about. But just be quiet. Simmer down a little bit. And then I get reminded. The Lord says, uh, yeah, where do you think they learned that? <laughs> Amen? From their mother. <laughs> Moving on. Not, not even close. Amen. Moving on. Okay. So they speak evil of those things which they know not. Why do they know not? What happens is, what, what, what happens when we come away from the truth? When we, when we leave what is spiritual, we go after what's fleshly. That's what we know, flesh. It's where we're comfortable when we, sometimes, well, oftentimes, because we follow our hearts, we follow our emotions. They speak evil of those things which they know not. What's, Corinthians talks about us being carnally minded, doesn't it? Not spiritual. Not spiritually minded, not the things of God, but carnally minded. And oftentimes, even, now this is speaking of, I believe it's going to go into people that are unsaved here, but uh, even people that are young in the faith that might, now I have a hard time with that. I think the Holy Spirit's changing me a little bit. Oftentimes there's people that sneak in and they wear sheep's clothing, right? And it's a facade. The devil's good about that. Bringing people into a church to look the part, to dress the part, to talk the part, and then later cause great turmoil. Okay? One of my jobs, one of my roles as your shepherd is to watch for that and to protect that. It's not, a, it's not an easy thing. It's not, a, it's not very comfortable for me when i got to go after somebody and, and, and handle those situations, but it's one of the roles that a shepherd ought to do. Think about a shepherd watching sheep, and he's looking for that wolf. He's listening for him because he knows that they're out there. A wolf would love to pick off a few. All right? And so we have to understand these things. But it says, but these speak evil of those things which they know not. Why do they not know it? Because they're not saved. They're not, they don't, they're not regenerated. They, they have not the Spirit of God. They don't know spiritual things. But what they know naturally as brute beasts. I'm not saying you're, you're acting just, you're fleshly. You're acting like a, a dumb animal. Because that's all they know is the flesh right in front of them. They're not, they're not triune beings. They don't have uh, all of that. And they wouldn't know things of spiritual. And in those things, look what it says, they corrupt themselves. All the, all the nonsense that mankind has come up with that we call religious nonsense, that we corrupt ourselves. Think of all the junk in the name of religion that mankind has done that is gross and just unthinkable. Just nasty stuff. Every time you, you get away from the Word of God and the truth of the Word of God and mankind goes and makes their own religion, next thing you know, there's rituals and there's ceremonies. And what's that all come back to? Flesh. It's all sick, gross, fleshly stuff. Because we, they don't understand the things of God. The carnally minded. You look at all the worship of all these different temples and all these other things. Even in the city of Corinth, there was a temple to 
I forget her name now, but uh, there was a goddess of love and all this stuff, and everybody looked at her and was praising her and all that. And there was there was uh, prophetesses. I don't know what female prophets, right? However you say that, right? And they would be in there, and there would be uh, physical things going on in the name of religion. Why? Because that's mankind. That's what it all comes back to. Because we don't we're carnally minded, especially though uh, those are unsaved. Look what it says, verse eleven. Woe unto them. Woe unto them. Jesus used that word in the Gospels. Woe unto them, ye hypocrites. Woe unto you, you Pharisees. It's a, that word woe has this idea of a, a very emphatic or very, I uh, actually wrote it down, an exclamation of, uh, of, uh, of grief here. Woe. It's an it's a exclamation point. God doesn't do that all that often, but occasionally he does. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. What's he mean by that? They've gone the way of Cain. Cain denied the blood atonement. He said, no, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, I'll, go, I'll come to God my own way. We've talked about that quite a bit. Then he goes into to Balaam here. Look what he says. And ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. What now? What did Balaam do? When you go back and read in, in the scriptures in, in the book of Numbers, and uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, I believe it's 22, somewhere around there. Okay, and Balaam, we know that he was not of the Jews, he was not an Israelite, but he was a man of God in his day, if I can say it like that. And Balak, 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 uh, he called on Balaam to come and curse the people of Israel that were coming near his land. Right? You with me? You remember this? Okay? So Balak called to Balaam and Balaam prayed over it and went to God on it. It's interesting. Sometimes we think we're the only ones. And yet here was a man that knew how to pray to God. And he wasn't of Israel. He wasn't a Jew. He wasn't of the line of Abraham that we know of. He's somewhere, he's somebody else. But yet he could get a hold of God. And it seems like when we read in Numbers there in 22 and 23, I believe there's a few chapters there and talking about it. It doesn't seem like he's that bad of a guy, does it? Because you read about him and he goes to the Lord and God says, don't you go. So then they come back and he tried again and he goes to the Lord again and God said, well, I told you not to go, but if you're going to go, then go on. And so he goes and of course we know and the donkey and all that stuff, right? And the donkey starts talking to him because he can't figure it out that God doesn't want him to go. And donkey saves his life several times, doesn't he? Okay, one time he runs off in a field and another time he runs up against a wall and crushes his leg and another time he just sits down. Right? You dumb donkey, what are you doing, right? And he says, I'm trying to save your life. <laughs> Man. He got a little humbled there, didn't he? And donkey started talking at him, started preaching at him. Listen here, dummy. You think I'm dumb. I'm trying to save your life. Man. And, uh, and of course, he, he goes on and, and of course, he, he plans to curse the people. But yet, God makes him to bless the people. And I think three different times, if, he, if I'm not mistaken. Three different times he blessed the people. And Balak is all upset about this thing. And then, and then it, it goes away from that. 
And so for a time, I didn't understand why is it that Balaam was, is, is talked about so badly here. And in 2 Peter, he's talked about. And in Revelation, he's talked about. And it's always negative. Well, if you continue to study on it and you look at these different passages, Balaam, because he loved money, found a way, found a way to curse Israel. God wouldn't let him do it with his mouth and with his, with his sacrifices and his prayers there, but, but he found a way for Balak to get around Israel in this thing. What I mean is to do something to, to, do something to them. And if you, if you notice, if you study in there, if you look at the next chapter after it's talking about Balaam, it says the Israelites mixed with the people around them and there was great fornication going on. And what happens? God told them not to do that. He says, don't, don't go mixing with these other people because they will lead you away from me. He says, you stay faithful within your realm of, of where I've told you to be, within the Jewish, that line there. And, uh, and of course they did it. And Balaam taught Balak what to do. Uh, jump over with me, please, here. Let's see if I have this written down here. I want you to, I want you to see it here. Let's go to Revelation uh, chapter 2, please. Revelation 2. Here's one of the passages. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14. Revelation 2.14, the Bible says, But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. See that? Sexual sins there, right? And so, uh, by he knew, he knew that though he couldn't, curse them with his mouth, that if he could teach them to do something that God would take his hand a blessing off of them, then he would get his way. And he taught Balak that, and he got great reward from that because he was greedy, because he had his eyes on money. Anytime we're chasing money, the love of money, right, is what? The root of all evil. It doesn't say money is, it says the love of money. Okay, praise God. Thank you, church, for allowing me to get a paycheck. It's necessary. My wife really thanks you. So we can eat some food. Amen? Have the heat on. But the love of money, because we make dumb decisions chasing a dollar, don't we? How many people have changed their lives and the lives of their family because they were chasing a dollar? Right? And Balaam did that here. It says... And ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. And then it says, and perished in the gainsaying of Kori, or Korah, in the Old Testament. It's K-O-R-A-H, Korah. Now help me here, what did Korah do? What happened with Korah? This is also in Numbers. And Korah spoke out against Moses. Remember that? Korah was a... If I'm not mistaken here, he was a Levite, but he was not a priest. Remember the tribe of Levi that was given to uh, take care of the things of God and the tabernacle and all these things. But it was one family within the Levites, that was the lineage of Aaron, that was to be the priest. Okay? And Korah, if, now you'll have to excuse me, and this is memory here, but I believe he was a 
Kohathite, which is like a cousin to Aaron. Okay, He wasn't of the line of Aaron, but he was related to him because he was a Levite. And the Kohathites had their job, and it was an important job. They handled the furniture inside the the tabernacle, and uh, they dealt with the Ark of the Covenant, and they dealt with the the table of showbread and these different things. It was an important, important job. They might have been the ones that carried the Ark of the Covenant on the staves over their shoulders. What an important job that was, carrying the presence of God. But he wasn't a priest. And yet he thought he ought to be better. He thought he ought to do more. He said, how come God can only speak through you and why can't he speak through us too? And remember, uh, Moses immediately, he was a humble man, he was a meek man, he went on his face before God and God said, you tell him, you call him out, bring him out here before me and we'll, we'll, see, what ha- we'll see what happens here. And they come out and they're going to give their incense. That means they were going to act like a priest, burn incense before the Lord. And what did God do? Tell me, help me now. What did he do? He opened the earth up and swallowed him up, didn't he? Moses said, God's going to do something. And if he does it common, if you die a common death, then this isn't of God. But if you die something uncommon, you'll know it's from God. And what did God do? He opened the earth up, swallowed them up. The Bible says they went down into the pit. That means they went straight down to the hell, down to hell and for everlasting. That's what the Bible says. And he took care of business because here's somebody that's calling out the man of God that God chose. With me? We do not well. And I understand I'm your pastor tonight, but I'm teaching you the word of God here. We do not well when we go against authority that God has put in place. I don't care if it's in the family. I don't care if it's in the church or whatnot. And what happens is, is that we get people that they're looking for a position rather than a service. You with me? They're looking for a title or a position instead of being able to serve the Lord where God leads them. I've known people like this through the years of ministry. And I watched people that wanted to be a deacon. Because they wanted the title. They wanted to know all the ins and outs of all the church and the ministry. And, and they wanted to know these things and these things and these things. And before long, they done left the church and they're in some other church. Why? Because they didn't get their position. They weren't there to serve. They were there to have a name. You with me? Okay. That, that's not of God. We think we're big stuff and that we ought to have this position because, man, I could do this better than he can. No, they're... Remember that this is God's church. Amen? This is God's church. And He's going to lead and He's going to direct and He's going to put people in certain positions. And there's a reason why we have the pastoral staff we have. There's a reason why we have the deacons we have. And praise the God, we're united and God's glorified. But what happens is, is we as men... Can get, can get prideful and think we know better and that we work in and try to figure it out on our own and mess things up. And that's what Korah was doing. Trying to do it his own way. Listen, I, I don't, there's a couple assistants in here and I don't mean anything about this, but what I'm saying is I used to be an assistant and it's so easy to disagree with a preacher. I 
And I'm not making an accusation here or nothing. I'm just giving an example here. It's easy because God made us men and made us leaders. And it's easy to disagree. You know what the place of is assistant when he disagrees? Right here. Because God didn't set it up that way. I'm telling you what, I had a pastor's heart. I've had a pastor's heart for a while. I knew God wanted to do something with me. And yet, I, he, le- he left me underneath another man for 14 years. That's a long time in my mind. And I was itching. I was like, Lord, I, I know you're going to do something. Just when, when are you show me? And, and, and there was some different struggles along the way and different bumps. And I thought, surely now God's going to do it now. And he didn't. And what was he doing? He was humbling me. He was humbling me. So I learned to do this. Because every great leader has to be a great follower. And I, I'm not trying to boost myself up. Please don't understand that. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm saying God chooses who he wants, and we need to get behind that. That's Bible. And he gives us that example over and over and over and over again. Even when God chose David, anointed him as the next king, God said, you've got to wait. And I promise you something, but you've got to wait. And David said, I'm not going to lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. Even when he had opportunity, twice. To kill him. I ain't going to do it. Why? Because if I do it, I'll lose the blessing of God. Because it's not God's way. That's what he's teaching us here. Okay? Cain did it his own way. Balaam was chasing after money, doing it his own way. Uh, Korah, trying to, trying to be something in, in religious atmosphere his own way. Gainsaying. I looked up that word and it, it, it's a Greek word, um, antal. Antologia, and it means to dispute or to speak out against, to cont- contradict. He was verbally opposing Moses and physically opposing Moses and coming out against the man of God. And what did God do? Took care of it. He did the same thing to Aaron and Miriam, didn't he? Because there was a time when Aaron and Miriam, his own flesh and blood, stood up and said, Doesn't God speak through us? I mean, we're of the same family. And God said, you come out in front of the tabernacle right now. We're going to take care of this right now. And what did he do to Miriam? He says, poof, you're leprous. Teach you. I choose somebody and that's who I'm going through. You trust me. It's easy for, I mean, think of Aaron and Mo. I mean, they're looking at their baby brother. Miriam's like, I put you in a basket in the river. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for me. And look, you're, you're the guy. That's our pride that comes out, isn't it? That's what God's teaching us here. We're way past time, but praise the Lord. God's teaching me a little bit through that today. And I pray you got fed as well in the Word of God. Hallelujah. Let's, let's bow together and uh, thank you for coming to church tonight. Lord, we.